athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. The Clemson Tigers are your national champions, 44-16 over Alabama. And I can't really say that I saw this coming. A, I, I knew Clemson had a good football team, and I knew that it was going to be able to compete with Alabama. But I never saw, and, 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 and possibly win the football game, but I never saw 44-16. It was total domination by Clemson. I think Alabama played with some desperation. I think the fake field goal, um, even though they were down by two scores, was a mistake. That If they make that field goal, it pulls them to within, I think, nine points. They still would have been down by two scores, but they would have scored. I think it would have given them a little bit more momentum, a little bit of confidence, but it was almost from the beginning tit for tat, tit for tat, and uh, again, I thought the Crimson Tide played with a little bit of desperation and ultimately lost the tit-for-tat part of the game, which ultimately led to them losing the national championship game in the fashion in which the Crimson Tide lost the national championship game. And for Dabo Sweeney, I mean, he made a decision in the middle of the season to go with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback, and it turned out to be the right decision. Lawrence completed 20 of 32 passes, 347 yards, three touchdowns, did not throw a single interception in the football game. And by the way, this kid, Justin Ross, who's also a true freshman, along with Lawrence, had six receptions, 153 yards, one touchdown. And that, you know, that one handed catch that he had was absolutely sensational. And I mean, he the the ball basically where he caught it was behind him. So that's what made it even more sensational. The fact that he caught it with one hand was sensational in of itself. But also the football was behind him as he was catching it. Plus he had to get the one, he had to have a feel for the sideline since it was near the sideline and be able to get that one foot down. So, you know, this is going to be a special Clemson team for years to come. I think that, you know, Alabama, listen, you know, the sky is not falling. If you're a Crimson Tide fan, if you're a college football fan, I don't think for Alabama that the sky is falling. I think that the Crimson Tide is going to be right back there next year. There are so many different things that can happen. Yeah, if we look at if we look at these two teams and and quite frankly the rest of college football on paper for next season, yeah, you could argue that Clemson should win the national championship again, but so many different variables um, can happen. Nick Saban is a phenomenal coach. I know he'll be able to make some adjustments for next year. He's got a really good 
recruiting class coming in. If those guys, some of those guys don't play right away, which a lot of times they don't, they're going to push some guys um, that are veterans on, on that football team. So, you know, uh, listen, in the last four years, Clemson has won two national championships and Alabama has won two national championships. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty exciting deal for those in Death Valley. Got a whole lot to get to today here on the program. Um, last week talked extensively about the National Football League and the coaching situation. Um, five black head football coaches fired. And I tell you what, I mean, you're not replacing that many. I mean, in, 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 to go back to last week, I don't know if I, if I brought this point out, but wow, the fact that, I mean, it just lets you know, you know, again, I think I may have, but it, it, it you know, we're, I think things are getting better in terms of the numbers of black coaches, but still not where it needs to be, especially when your league is 70% black. And again, I go back, this is also an FBS coaching deal because there are not a lot of opportunities for black head coaches at the FBS level. And a lot of the coaches that you see um, in the National Football League were head coaches at uh, FBS programs. Look at the guy King. Look at Kingsbury, who is now going to be the um, the head football coach in Arizona. He went from being fired at Texas Tech back on was it November? Well, whatever I, whatever the date was. I guess it was sometime in November. He was fired after a 35 and 40 record at Texas Tech. He was signed as the offensive coordinator at USC. And then on Tuesday, it was announced that he would be the new head football coach coach of the Cardinals. So, you know, but those same opportunities generally don't happen. Not generally, they don't happen for black head coaches. So, again, we got to level the playing field. I mean, I did mention last week that the Rooney rule isn't working. I don't think that's totally fair. I think that there are some pros and cons to the Rooney rule pro being a guy like a Mike Tomlin or, you know, some, some other coaches that may have not gotten an opportunity or were afterthoughts in terms of the interview process interviewed and uh, now become potential candidates. But of course, on the, uh, on the bad side of things, you just interview a black candidate to satisfy the Rooney rule as well. But I think it more so starts at the FBS level as well, where a lot of, you know, I, I mean, you can look at Cliff Kling, uh, Klingsbury as an example of a coach that coached at the FBS level and now is getting his shot as a head coach in the National Football League. We'll talk more about this and other things with NFL USA Today columnist Jared Bell. Jared Bell going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The College Football Hall of Fame announced its 2019 Hall of Fame class. And wouldn't you know it, Joe Taylor, the former head football coach at Hampton, the former head football coach at Howard, the former head football coach at Florida A&M, is now uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Congratulations to Coach Taylor. has been a, an advocate of this program over the years and also a guest on this program over many years. And he's going to be a guest on the program again today. Joe Taylor going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Also, I have some thoughts 
The, you know, we talked about this last year after the CIAA tournament had ended in Charlotte that, you know, and I've been saying this for the last couple of years that, you know, Charlotte is a great city. Love Charlotte. It's about a two and a half hour drive from here in Raleigh. But it's it sort of to me, at least uh, for the time being, at least after last season, it had run its course. The CIAA tournament, in my opinion, had run its course in Charlotte. It had been there for since two, the, the 2006 CIAA tournament. It's going to be there through 2020. But after 2020, beginning for the 2001 uh, 21 CIAA tournament, it's going to be in Baltimore for three years. Uh, the CIAA tournament is moving to Baltimore after the 2020 CIAA tournament in Charlotte. And I'm going to have some more thoughts about the CIAA tournament moving to Baltimore your participation here on from the press box to press row always warranted hit me up via Twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or uh, in matter of fact not only on Twitter but also on Instagram at b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or on Facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w thank you to all of you listening to all of our great absolutely wonderful Affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those listening to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142. And those listening to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. All right, let's talk some CIAA tournament moving to Baltimore beginning in 2021. I got about four and a half minutes in this segment. And I mean, you know, there's a couple of different dynamics here. Number one, if you look at some of the reports Baltimore offered the CIAA $2 million per year in scholarship money, whereas Charlotte offered $1.2 million, and uh, it could increase to in upwards of $1.7 million over this last six-year deal, which was implemented in 2014, and there's still two years left on the deal. Um, Charlotte was providing the CIAA $1.4 million in scholarships so there's a difference there obviously the city of baltimore has a bigger budget than does the city of charlotte but i don't i don't think it's necessarily a a money deal although that really helps one of the other deals royal farms arena which is the arena in baltimore is going to be given to the ciaa tournament rent free now i'm not sure if the ciaa I'm sure the CIAA was not is not getting Time Warner Cable Arena for free. They may have been getting the convention center for free, maybe. But but some of those things, I mean, when now the CIAA isn't coming off, you know, having to come out of its pocket for money for renting facilities, all of those things um, sort of add up. You know, I just think it was time. I think it just had gotten stale, in my opinion, in Charlotte. And, and, and I, you know. You know, I talk with a number of different uh, people, fans, etc. cetera, uh, a lot of them who have said the same thing. Now, for us that live in North Carolina and and more specifically, I mean, because if you look at it, the, there are eight of the schools are in the state of North Carolina. So it's not that far a drive for most of us to come to the CIAA tournament. The farthest school is Lincoln. And um, for Lincoln, I would say that's probably about an eight hour drive um, or so. But I mean, you know, I, I just think you you move it to a, you know, a bigger city, more of a metro type of city uh, in Baltimore where 
basketball is um, is you know is king. I mean, when you look at Baltimore, basketball is king. When you look at the CIAA tournament, it's been less about the basketball and more about the ancillary events. But even more than that, that's not really the big thing. The big thing is now you expose the CIAA tournament more to people up north. D.C. is right next to Baltimore. New York is what two and a half three hour drive philly is like an hour and a half drive so now you're exposing it is there's obviously a lot of alumni of ciaa schools in the new york in the in that new york new jersey connecticut um type of area that new york metro area dc is obviously right there as well and then you're going to have some baltimore um alums as well and i think that you know, from that vantage point, you're going to have a, a, a different demographic. Some people who may have never been to the CIAA tournament because when, you know, and it's definitely a big loss for the city of Charlotte. I mean, I've read a lot of reports, a lot of the council people not necessary, not not un, they're not mad. It's just a deal where they know that they're missing out on something. They know that that economic uh, impact that the CIAA tournament has on Charlotte, which is 50 million dollars is gone at least for three years. I think ultimately the CIAA tournament at some point is going to come back. Also Norfolk, Virginia was in the the running for the CIAA tournament, but you know it 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 had been years ago since the CIAA uh, tournament was in Norfolk. Of course, currently the MIAC tournament is in Norfolk now. But you know I think this is a good move. It's good to switch, and I and and I'm glad that the CIAA announced in um, in the summertime that they were going to go more to looking at uh, cities hosting for three years as opposed to the time that this. Uh, con- the, 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 the run in Charlotte is going to be up. It will have been 15 straight years. So I think this is definitely good for the CIAA tournament. More about this later on in the program as from the press box to press row rolls on. You're listening to from the press box to press row. I reminisce for a spell, or shall I say, back 22 years ago to keep it on track. The birth of a child. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're going to talk some National Football League playoffs, and we got some really interesting matchups. And on the line, USA Today NFL columnist Jarrett Bell joins us. He knows more National Football League than anybody I know. Happy New Year to you, Jarrett. Hey, Donald. Happy New Year to you, too, my brother. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, man. Yeah, yeah, 30-something years. And it's interesting because I've been in it so long that I've gotten to the point where, you know, people who play, they have sons playing now or <laughs> sons who've retired or sons who are coaching. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Like Sean McVay, for example, the Rams coach, um, you know, I, I covered the 49ers when his grandfather was the GM wow. of the 49ers. And so when you you meet him and you tell him stuff, and he's like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> My granddaddy. I had a, a, a story published this week on Michael Thomas, the Saints, phenomenal wide receiver. And he is the nephew of Keyshawn Johnson. And so as it would turn out, you know, I'm interviewing him, and I knew about him through Keyshawn, actually, um, from – a couple years ago, and I started telling him stories about his uncle and how I did certain interviews with him and stuff like that, and that really kind of helped our interview because it relaxed him, 
and it let them know that, hey, I got a little bit of skin in this game, too. So that's how long I've been doing it, man. Yeah, yeah, no, quite some time and doing it well. You know, I, I want to start here because I, 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 you know, had a chance to read your piece on the Chargers. Of course, the Chargers have to go to Foxborough to play uh, New England, a tough game. But you, you really like the Chargers. Yeah, I do. I, and I think they've got a chance to win in New England. And the odds makers say that they've got the best chance of any of these road teams this weekend to win. It's going to be tough. It's Brady. It's Belichick. It's Foxborough. It's going to be like 25 degrees or whatever on Sunday. But the thing about the Chargers that you like, coached by Anthony Lynn, who doesn't get as much sizzle as a lot of coaches, one of the few black coaches and the head coaches in the NFL right now. Right. But they've got a really resilient team, and they've been through a lot of ups and downs. They could have been in the playoffs last year. They won nine in a row down the stretch, and they really kind of built it into something that they've been able to um, add another layer to this season to get to the playoffs. And they've won all these games on the road. I mean, they've not lost outside of L.A., all year. So I say all that to say that they have been battle-tested. Um, they're not going to be phased by Mystique or anything like that. And I think they've got a chance to beat the Patriots because, A, the Patriots have not been as sharp as we've known them to be, even though they got a week off. So they were sharp enough to earn a bye week. But they've shown a lot of vulnerability at certain points of the season. So the Chargers are a hot team right now. They put the clamps on Lamar Jackson on Sunday in Baltimore. It's going to be tougher to put the clamps on Tom Brady, but they have a fighting chance. Yeah, you know, the only game that I got wrong last week was Chicago and the Eagles. And I should have known better, Jared, than to pick against a veteran team. You you can't necessarily pick these youngins these days per se. And, I mean, the Bears were right there. But what do you? how much chance do you give the Eagles against the Saints, who, again, have a week off and – you know, have, have have had the best, arguably the best team in the National Football League this year. Yeah, and they blew out the Eagles back in November, too. Um, I don't give Philadelphia the, 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 a big chance to win that game. But like you said, when you're talking about these veteran guys, and in Philly's case, they won the Super Bowl last year. And so they are not going to go down easy. I don't expect they'll get blown out like they did in New, in November in New Orleans. But it's going to be tough. The Saints at home are a different animal, and they've had a little bit of rest. Their defense is better than it's been like the last couple of years, so they've, they've built it up. And you, you, go, you think back, the Saints won that Super Bowl in the 2009 season, and since then they've, it's almost a totally new team. Okay, There's only three players on their team now who were on that team back in 2009. So that's how it goes in the NFL. But I say all that to say they, they, they've kind of gone through it and rebuilt it. To get back to what you, the point you made, though, about, about the Bears, I agree with you because you look at all of the quarterbacks last weekend who made their first playoff start, they lost. And that includes Lamar Jackson, who I mentioned, Deshaun Watson with Houston, and Trubisky. Now, of those three, Trubisky played well enough to win. And I don't know if you could say that for the others, although Lamar had a late comeback rally, but then he fumbled at the end. But um, it's something about playoff football that is different and it takes you to another level they always talk about the difference between preseason and regular season and the game is faster well now you turn it up another notch when you get to the playoffs 
and it's even more intense. Mistakes are magnified, and if you lose, you go home, and all of that. So um, I, I picked the Eagles last week, and and it was just kind of like the, the reasoning being when they have Nick Foles in there versus Carson Wentz, and they, they went to the Super Bowl last year, they believe in him. He knows what he can do. He, he knows that offense so well that he doesn't try to do too much. He gets the balls to his playmakers, and they've got the heart of a champion. But, again, I don't think that's going to be enough for them at New Orleans, but, you know, stranger things have happened. If they win, it'll be like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, it's a good analogy. That's the voice of Jared Bell, USA Today NFL columnist, as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Follow him on Twitter at Jared Bell. You're, of course, Jared, in Los Angeles where the Rams are hosting the Cowboys and a nice win by the Cowboys last week against Seattle, which many people did not give, of course, the Cowboys uh, a, a chance. And, you know, the knock on the Rams, I mean, they've, they've, they've been good, but the knock has been, well, they, they don't do anything um, in the playoffs, but they had a week to prepare. Um, your thoughts, who do you see winning this football game? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I give the Cowboys a chance. I, I've actually flip-flopped on this one, Donald. I, Earlier in the week, I thought the Cowboys would win that game, and now I think the Rams will win it. And the reason being, I think the Cowboys are banged up. Uh, the Rams have really set themselves up to at least have this home game. If they win, they'll have to go to New Orleans, provided the Saints win. Um, but the Cowboys have a chance for a couple of reasons. So you got Ezekiel Elliott, who has been playing phenomenal, and you could make a case that he wasn't the first-team all-pro running back. That was Todd Gurley with the Rams. So it's some tough competition there. So now they both get to be on the same field in a playoff game. And the game, may, even though they don't go against each other head-to-head, the game may still hinge on which of those running backs is able to um, dictate the flow of the game. And Dallas has a better defense than the Rams, even though the Rams have Wade Phillips, former Cowboys coach, nice subplot here, right? Right. They've got Wade Phillips, and they spent a bunch of money in the offseason on defense. They've got the best defensive player in football in Aaron Donald, but they have not really put it together with all those pieces, and I'm including Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters and Ndamukong Sue, but they have not put it together like they envisioned it. And it may take time, or it may be because all these guys don't fit the way that they thought they would. Yeah, no question. And then, of course, the last game, the Colts and the Chiefs. And the Colts, you know, I, I had almost forgotten how good a quarterback Andrew Luck really was because he had sat out basically for two years. But he's been phenomenal. Uh, they have a bit, you know, he has a running game. He's got a really good offensive line. The defense led by Darius Leonard has been very, very good. But they got to go to Kansas City and play against Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs team. Your thoughts on this game? Yeah, let, let me. I got a couple things to say. Cause you, so you mentioned Darius Leonard who might be the defensive rookie of the year. He was a second-round pick, middle linebacker for the Colts, and he came from SC State. Right. And a, a, few, a few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody about a project I've been working on about Hall of Famers who came from HBCUs. And there's 20, 25, maybe even 30 of them, right? And somebody told me that there won't be any more. You know, Strahan was like the last one, I think, who went in. Uh, maybe is a, uh, maybe Brazil. I'm not sure where he went, but anyway, the point being, yeah, Jackson State. He did pe- Jackson State. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people were saying, well, there's not going to be many more HBCU players go in, and I understand 
the reason for somebody to say that is because so many of the players who back in the day would automatically go to HBCUs, now they get recruited by the bigger schools and all of that. So there's that. But there's always these guys that come along and everybody misses them or they don't think that they played against good enough competition and then they get on the NFL level and they kick booty. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening yeah. with, with Darius Leonard, who – their GM Chris Ballard is is really good, and I, I think that that was an amazing thing for the Colts to get him and kind of put him where he can do best his best work. And he saw Leonard as the guy who was perfect for the cover two defense that they want in Indianapolis, like much like the Bucks had, you know, back in the, a few years ago when they won their Super Bowl, and the Colts when Dunsey was there. So Leonard is that centerpiece guy, and I don't think. I think he's only going to get better. Now, for this week, I agree with you, Donald. We forgot about Andrew Luck because he'd been gone for so long. And, yeah, the thing with him now is that they're supporting him more, especially on the offensive line. They gave up the fewest sacks in the NFL, 18, and that was really one of the problems with Andrew Luck when he was there in the first incarnation is that he took too many sacks. They tried to fix that line invested a lot of picks but could never get it together, had sorry protection, and then he didn't protect himself because he wanted to run around and be Superman and took a lot of hits. And that contributed to his injury woes. So he's come back smarter, protects himself better, doesn't run like he like he did in the past. He had a run at Houston the other day. It was great. It was on third down. He got out of bounds. So he can still do it, but he is not subjecting himself to – punishment like he used to and the lineman is much better i give them a chance to go into kansas city and beat the chiefs as good as the chiefs have been this year with patrick mahomes who's probably going to be the mvp is there's just something about the chiefs not having a really good defense having andy Reid, who i love and respect totally as one of the sharpest offensive minds in the nfl but if you look at his playoff record it is not stellar, even though he took the Eagles to five NFC championship games and he's been to a Super Bowl. Um, I think this is where the upset's going to come this weekend. Mark my word. I could be wrong, but I'm, if I'm going to have to pick one to say here's where the upset is, I think it's that. And, oh, by the way, the Chiefs have lost an NFL record six consecutive home playoff games. Wow. So that doesn't mean it's going to be automatically seven. But there is a pattern there. And just like I talked about with Deshaun Watson, Trubisky, and Lamar Jackson, this will be Patrick Mahomes' first playoff game. Yeah. So we'll see if that pattern continues. More with Jarrett Bell after this small pause for the cause. This is From the Press Box to Press Row. Talking National Football League playoffs with Jarrett Bell. NFL, a USA Today NFL columnist who joins us here on the program. Last thought, Jared, and we appreciate the time. You know, you, it, five black head coaches uh, were fired, whether it was after the season or during the course of this past uh, uh, football season. And, you know, yeah. you look at a situation with a Cliff uh, uh, Kingsbury who's, you know, hired by Arizona, has a losing record with Texas A&M, and then, and then furthermore, Steve Wilkes only had one season 
to sort of, uh, you know, get things done and they, and they let him go. But I guess my question is, you know, we have the Rooney rule in place, but what are some of the things that need to happen so that there are more black head football coaches? I mean, at the end of the day, 70% of the league is black and you had, I, I guess, what, seven or eight black head football coaches this season, which is still, you know, doesn't uh, begin uh, to equate to the 70% of players that are in the National Football League that are black. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, and I don't know if we ever will expect it to be a direct match to the number of players to the number of coaches, okay? But even with that, without it being a direct match, there should be more. And I think the thing that has been there, especially for the past 20 years or so, as we've had the Rooney Rule now, with Rooney Rule going back to 2002, so not quite 20 years, we've had numbers go up and down. We've had different trends emerge some defensive coaches, a bunch of defensive coaches got hired, and then then a lot of offensive coaches got hired, and so on and so forth. You, you would hope that there would be a balance. And, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Tomlin, who's been successful, even though the Steelers have been the biggest tease in the NFL the past, you know, three, four years. They are still always in the hunt, and Tomlin is still one of the league's best coaches, right? But he was a defensive guy. Uh, Ron Rivera, not black, but Hispanic defensive coach has had Carolina in the mix pretty much every year, even though this was a bad year for him. <laughs> they started off well, and and I think people respect him as one of the best coaches. So what has to happen moving forward? You know, when you talk to people about it, and you can throw GMs in the equation too. You know, Ozzie Newsom is stepping away as the Ravens GM after like almost 20 years in that position, right? And when he was promoted, he was the first African-American general manager in NFL history. And now that he's stepping aside, guess how many African-American GMs are there? Just one, Chris Greer in Miami. And so there have been cases where you had six black GMs a couple years ago, right? Just like you mentioned with the coaches, where you had eight head coaches, when they get fired, they're not getting replaced. And so that's kind of what we've seen here in the past year or two, the past couple of years, where people who had opportunities didn't get them. So then you wonder, well, okay, when they do get fired, are they going to get rehired somewhere else? And that's where Cliff Kingsbury comes in, who's proven absolutely zero on the NFL level, right? So these, these owners get infatuated with offense, offense, offense. On Kingsbury's um, resume, no doubt he's had success developing some quarterbacks in college, going back to Case Keenum, uh, Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes. That's a pretty decent, and not to be all these guys were successful in the NFL, because we know Manziel wasn't, but that's, that's impressive on a guy's resume to say, I had something to do with this. Well, Jim Caldwell yeah. is also a guy with an impressive resume yep. when it comes to developing quarterbacks. And Matthew Stafford, who, you know, tanked it this year, and I say tank it, you know, he, he, lost, <laughs> he lost a bit this year without Caldwell. Guess what? His best years came with Jim Caldwell as coach. Peyton Manning swears by Jim Caldwell. And Jim Caldwell can't get a job. He's a little bit older, but can't get a job. And so until you get enough people that are looking at all of these candidates squarely and taking their biases out, which 
it might be, I mean, it's not too much to expect, but this is what I think is one of the things that totally has to change because people want to get, want to get Sean McVay. Okay. And I mentioned him at the top of this segment who has had success in turning it around, but for, but for every Sean McVay or Mike Tomlin, who at one point was that hot young guy, leader of men, as they say, um, Sean Payton, the Saints was another one, but for every guy like that, you have six, seven, eight guys who people project to be that, who turn out to be busts. And we just saw Dirk Cutter get fired in Tampa Bay, right? Remember they ran Lovey Smith out of there. Yep. They bring him in, and, you know, Jameis Winston regresses. Now, Cutter had head coaching experience, but guess what? Just like Cliff Kingsbury, it was pretty sorry experience when it comes to the wins and losses. And so that's really one of the things that has to be so frustrating, especially to, you know, up-and-coming uh, African-American coaches to to get that opportunity. So the thing I hear now is that you need more guys who um, have backgrounds on offense. Well, you know, you could say that, but this thing is a trend. Like I said, Mike Tomlin was a defensive coach and t- has turned out to be a great coach. And you've seen some other coaches who came from the defensive side, come from, some from the offensive side, and that's black, white, purple, whatever they are. And so um, – that's what has to change this whole copycat thing. Let us find this guy who typically is, you know, from the college level or typically a guy who has worked on offense. And if you want to take that, look at Mike Loxley, who was the offense coordinator at Alabama, didn't hear his name mentioned in NFL circles, even though Loxley went on to the University of Maryland and got the head coaching job. This guy smart at, um, at Clemson. I mean, okay, look look at what they've done with this freshman this year with Deshaun Watson before that hand. Before that, you don't see him getting that same kind of pursuit that Cliff Kingsbury got. So, uh, yeah, there's more work to be done in terms of um, getting people to make the decisions that would be equitable in that regard. Yeah. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Jarrett Bell and also check out his work at usatoday.com. He is USA Today NFL columnist Jarrett Bell. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Jarrett, as always, great insight, man. Enjoy that game there in L.A., and we'll talk with you soon. Okay, my man. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Jared Bell joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row talking some National Football League. Let's switch gears here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Got another guest on the line, and right now we're joined by a longtime head football coach. As a matter of fact, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when he would be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and that has in fact happened he's you know coached obviously at hampton at florida a&m virginia union and howard he's the one and only joe taylor the legend he joins us here on from the press box to press row coach taylor happy new year and welcome back to the program well donald happy new year to you and uh thanks so much for reaching out and yes as you said uh quite an honor um and all it really means is you know i've really been around a lot of great people uh, during my career, uh, from administrators to assistant coaches, and all of the outstanding student athletes that I've had the privilege of uh, coaching. Uh, so this is truly humbling. Yeah, no, no question about it. Let, let me 
can I start here, Coach Taylor? Um, your thought. I want to get your thoughts as as one of Hampton's greatest football coaches, if not its greatest football coach. When you found out that Hampton was moving from the MEAC to the Southern Conference uh, or to the Big South, I should say. I, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that move. Well, um, I guess if you would ask the alumni, um, certainly uh, there probably was some pushback. Uh, because, you know, uh, Donald, you know, when we develop these robberies uh, and different alumni, you know, one might have gone to Hampton, one might have gone to Norfolk or Howard. You know, those are lasting robberies. And uh, when you look up and you're in a conference where really there's no, you know, robberies involved, uh, it creates a challenge. But I'm sure it was a business decision uh, from Dr. Harvey and you know because from my understanding the online uh, schooling now is very popular and this would uh, cause Liberty uh, of course they've left the Big South now but you know they are, they are the largest university in the country because of online uh, so from my understanding that uh, had some influence but uh, if you ask the alumni I know a lot of them probably had, had some pushback yeah, no question about it. For you, you know, I, I mentioned all of the schools, Virginia Union and Hampton and, you know, Howard, and then ultimately ultimately at Florida A&M where you won a, a, a MEAC title. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked about today on the program is the fact that, you know, you had five uh, black head coaches in the National Football League that were let go. Um, and you're not going to be able to, you know, replace all five of them with black head coaches, if you will. And, you know, my contention is that starts at the FBS level because there are not an, mm-hmm. enough FBS head coaches to, in fact, get to the level of the National Football League in terms of head coach. For you, were you is that somewhere that you wanted to be throughout the course or looking back on your career as a head coach at an FBS school? Well, you know, Donna, uh, my wife and I, uh, at one point, we started off at Eastern Illinois uh, and won a national championship in 1978. And it was really a decision in terms of career choices. Um, and I'm, you know, not trying to put myself in the line of uh, Martin Luther King, but, you know, we just always wanted to be where we thought we could be the most effective in terms of helping young African-American young men. Um, when I was at Easton, uh, you know, it was obvious that a lot of the young men that I coached uh, at the end of their four years could get a shave and get a haircut and go and join the family business. Well, that wasn't the case in my mind with a lot of African-Americans. So we decided to get off of that uh path of trying to pursue, uh, you know, the PWIs or the pro ranks, because in the pros, you know, that's a meat market. And we were more in tune with trying to create a situation where young men would, could use this athletic ability and plan a path for them where they would be successful for life. And that was just a career choice. Now, certainly we had interviews with the uh, PWIs and, uh, and, and really had some opportunities, but we just chose to, uh, be at the HBCU because we felt like 
we can make more of a difference in terms of affecting lives in a real positive way. No question about it. Love the choice, by the way, Coach Taylor. It's, in fact, led you uh, to this point, and you've impacted a whole lot of people. The legendary Joe Taylor joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, recently inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back with more of our conversation with Joe Taylor here on From the Press Box to Press Row. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. The biggest names are guests on Box to Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. You know, um, we've been through a lot as a team. And I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. This is Michael Vick. Hi, this is Layla Ali. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Skylar Diggins. Hey, it's Alex Morgan with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Yeah, and I was really um, ready and serious. I'm just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. We track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Talking with former head college football coach Joe Taylor here on from the press box to press row. Of course, the head football coach at Virginia Union, at Hampton, at Howard, and at Florida A&M. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that at one time he was the president of the AFCA, which is a pretty big deal. Um, but when you look back over your, your coaching career and all of the stops um, that you've had, what, what most comes to your mind? Well, when I look up, see, I wrote a book, and the book is called The Making of a Champion, Success Is an Inconvenience. Yep. Uh, that book really is a testimony from a lot of young men that I uh, coached at Hampton, uh, at Virginia Union, at Florida A&M, that are now doctors, lawyers, uh, they are family men, they're taking care of their families. Uh, that's really, to me, the reason I got into it. And when I look back at those guys, and uh, for instance, Tim Benson, uh, who ended up uh, getting a doctoral, his doctorate degree, in fact, he's a doctor, he taught at Harvard. Uh, he's now out in California, and he's, uh, I would say, like a psychologist for the NBA. Uh, it's those kinds of things that they all probably thought I was crazy <laughs> while I was coaching them. But they see now as they have, you know, graduated from college, they're out here in the real world, that the things that we talked about was elevating their standards, uh, that they are not a mistake. They, uh, the good Lord put them here for a purpose, and their job every day that the good Lord gave them on the top side is to pursue that purpose. And as I look back and I hear from those guys, uh, it is just, it just is so gratifying to know that, uh, as, as though they thought I was probably a little different because the standards, once you elevate standards, there's certain things you must do. 
and there are things that you must not do. And to see those guys successful, uh, that has really made this a blessed career. Joe Taylor, of course, has 233 career wins. He was just recently uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. What, why, why were you able to be so successful so quickly, Coach Taylor, at Hampton? Of course, Hampton, and you had a lot of success when Hampton was in the CIAA in Division Two. But, boy, you had a lot of success and quick success once Hampton moved to the MEAC and to FCS, or at that time, 1AA. Why was that? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, when I went to Hampton, the year before I got there, the team was uh, two and eight. Well, the very next year, we took those same kids, and we went nine and two. Well, when I got to Florida A&M uh, in 2007, that team, before I got there, they were uh, two and eight. Well, we took that same team in 2008. And we went nine and three. That was the biggest turnaround. But you know, again, the philosophy has always been that again, you have to elevate your standards. And certainly we sit down with, uh, each time I took over a fledgling program, we just invited each guy in for 30 minutes and just talked to each guy and asked him why was he there? Um, and if he wanted to stay, what had to happen? Um, and that's where, you know, we just introduced that control your dash, you know, D-A-S-H. And uh, it was about getting them involved with discipline. They had to get their attitude right. They had to have understand that to be successful, there's a lot of sacrifice. And that H always stood for habits. They had to get their habits straight because I always told them, get your habits right, you get your life right. So I just introduced the word dash to each program. And fortunately, the young men bought in, um, you know, uh, and when they saw that, because, see, everybody really wants discipline. Uh, and I always thought that if you are organized, no matter how many games you were supposed to win, if you get organized, you're going to just – organization alone is going to win you three more games than you're supposed to. Right. So it was just a matter of uh, having, you know, because I had been around the Bob Hens, uh who really yep. got me going, yep. and, you know, at Cardozo, and I came back and coached with him at H.D. Whitson. Daryl Mudra, who was in the Hall of Fame, he was my coach at Western Illinois. So I had some great coaches to get some great philosophies from. But the bottom line is I always instilled discipline to the point where uh, you know, the kids really thought that maybe, again, I was a little bit too tough. But when you introduce discipline, uh, I don't care what it is you're trying to do in life. It starts with discipline. So just went in there and just put a level of discipline in place, and the kids, fortunately, just bought into it. That, of course, the voice of Joe Taylor joins us here on the program. Of course, a career-winning percentage of 71% recently inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. The other coach that was inducted uh, was Dennis Erickson. 
And the thing, you know, Coach Taylor, now you're having success as the athletics director at Virginia Union. I mean, you just know the right coaches to hire. Your your men's basketball program is winning. The women's basketball program, you know, made it to the the title game a couple of years, the national championship a couple of years ago. Football is mm-hmm. doing well. Talk about this, some of the things that you've been able to implement there at Virginia Union that has led to the success that Virginia Union is now having. Well, first of all, Dr. Perkins, uh, he he was the president at Virginia Union back uh, in 2012. And after I had retired, um, I took a year off and uh, wrote a book, again, The Making of a Champion, Successes and Inconvenience. Well, he gave me a call, and I took the whole 2013 off. And he said, Coach, I know you retired, but I need for you to come to Virginia Union and help me organize my athletic program. Well, uh, Donald, that was a great challenge, and I guess throughout my career I've always looked for challenges. So when I took over, I interviewed and did a SWOT analysis, and I looked at the leadership in each program. And it was obvious to me after interviewing those coaches that uh, there was a reason they were losing. Uh, Because to me, the definition of a coach is someone who takes people to places that they cannot go by themselves. And after I interviewed those guys uh, that were in place, it was important that I make changes. Uh, So for the most part, uh, I've made changes in the football program. I've made changes in both basketball programs. I've made changes in the golf program, volleyball. (laughs) So pretty much clean house. And now, uh, because again, uh, I have transitioned from coaching players to coaching coaches. Mm -hmm. And uh, we meet, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And uh, we have some KPIs in place. We uh, have a strategic plan in place. And I am fortunate to have landed some great leaders and, uh, again, you know, for the first time last year, Virginia Union has always had a great tradition in basketball or athletic spirit. But that was the first time that both basketball teams won the CIAA tournament in the same year. Uh, this year, we was 8-2 and two in uh, football. And it's obvious because the year before, before I made a change, we averaged about 15 penalties per game. But this past year, we only averaged three penalties per game. So, again, discipline. And that's what I talk to the coaches about. You know, you got to have discipline. Uh, you got to elevate the standards. And they are listening to me and uh, to the point where I'm so proud of what I see our student-athletes. You know, they are, you know, they got their chins off their chest. They're enjoying their experience. And when a, a young man or young lady is having a good experience, They'll let you know on game day because they have put the necessary effort out. And so we're just blessed to be there, um, you know, with Virginia Union. And uh, it's just a great situation. Yeah. And, and lastly, where can we get more information about the book? Uh, the best way, uh, I have a website, uh, Taylor, And, you know, just go on my website and uh, – you know, follow me there and or just give me a call at 850-728-1823. And, you know, we, you know, I like to personalize them by, you know, autographing them. So just call me uh, at the office and I'll make sure anybody who wants one, we, we can definitely get it to them. And we know it's, it's 24 95 but 
uh, I just $20, I always say, listen, <laughs> it's more important to get the information than this me to <laughs> try to make, make some money. But uh, thanks for asking on that. But it is doing well. That's very good. Well, the legendary Joe Taylor joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. 233 wins in his career. Currently, the athletics director at Virginia Union and was just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. As always, Coach Taylor, we appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Well, thank you so much. And continued success. And we appreciate all that you do uh, for HBCU and getting the word out there. You're doing a great job. And I just certainly appreciate you. Always glad to have Joe Taylor as a guest here on the program. And as a matter of fact, he's been a guest on the program for many, many a year. Been a while since we had him on the show. But again, congratulations to Coach Taylor for being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. It, again, it just it wasn't a matter of if, but a matter of when with all of the success that Coach Taylor had over his career before we get out of here on from the press box to press row again i'm i'm for the ciaa tournament moving to baltimore i think it needed a a just to be somewhere different somewhere new and i think this is going to be a good move whether it's going to be a long-term deal we'll certainly see it's for three years and we'll see you know i think ultimately it will come back to charlotte ciaa's headquarters are in charlotte I think Charlotte has done a wonderful job. I just think that, in my opinion, it had become stale in Charlotte for so many years and it needed a venue change. And uh, so we'll see how things play out, but um, uh, uh, certainly um, glad. And I think ultimately the three years will be successful in Baltimore. As we wrap it up here on From the Press Box to Press Row, thank you to Joe Taylor for joining us on the program. Thank you to Jarrett Bell also today for joining us on the program as well. For more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, log on to our website at BoxToRow.com, our series highlighting former HBCUers that are now uh, public relations directors in pro sports continues. We've done a profile on Ted Cruz, who's the vice president of media relations for the Kansas City Chiefs. Check that out on our website at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Just take